Welcome to episode 29 of the CowCast. Listener Q&A? Shop Talk? A little bit of both. Okay, so we're back. I'm Eric. I am James. And on this episode, we're going to answer, basically we're going to talk about two kind of questions slash thoughts that we have, um, give you our input on what we think. So these have spun out of a couple of different discussions on different um, chat platforms, as well as just some, some things that you and I, James, we kind of muse about in the shop as we're doing some ordering. So um, before we jump in, though, We've had kind of an extended absence uh, on the podcast, mm-hmm. and that's been for a couple of different reasons. So, I don't know, do you want to give a couple updates of what has happened in the store since our last episode? Uh, I Did anything happen? I, I must have missed it. I must have been gone. No, we've just had, we've added a bunch of fixtures and um, new product. We've uh, I, I guess we've increased our wall presence of artist editions by about... Gosh, I don't know. Probably five hundred percent. Yep. Uh, we've added some cool uh, mood lighting. Um, if you want to come in and get your your full body massage at night, <laughs> these really, really, really will make you feel relaxed and comfortable. Um, we've added uh, full a uh, full wall of glass cases to our back wall, so that's kind of cool. Full of on one half or one two sections of the three are. Uh... Gen 1 Transformers and some some repops, yep. Transformer repops. And then the other section, part of it, is the retro video games. Yep, absolutely. Which has also been uh, added to. Quite a bit Quite a bit of product got added there. Well, and I took, um, I finally took a week and we have been amassing uh, large amounts of broken video game consoles because I, I take them all home and I repair them. And my friend Mike, who used to work here... Uh, used to help lighten the load on that for me because um, he could do the same thing. But without Mike, I just haven't had the time to be able to do it. It's pretty much takes up an entire weekend. But my wife went out of town, so I was able to uh, dedicate an entire weekend to repairing about 10 NES and three Supers, a couple of Genesis, a couple of Dreamcast, a whole bunch of stuff that needed all sorts of new parts and repairs. So that's Oh, plus I had I went out of town for my anniversary, yep. and then you and your wife went out of town. Had a little getaway. Um, so we've just been we've been busy little bees. Yep. So for those of you that were anxiously awaiting another episode, oh, and I've been sawing up a tree that fell in my backyard. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I got to fix a water heater, replace a water heater. Yeah, that's so it's been not uh, that anyone cares, right? Anyways, all that to say, thanks for the patience, and uh, you know it is our ambition to try and get an episode out at least every couple of weeks, if not every week. Uh, we did have the two in a row where there was two days in a row of episodes, a couple episodes back, and that was because of the timeliness of the second one that we had recorded and put in the can, uh, and then we it was all the discussion about Mile High at San Diego, mm-hmm. and then articles started coming out online, and so we, we wanted to get the content out right away uh, since we had actually recorded it before those were written. So Well, also, we've both done several podcasts in that in yeah. between time because each of us have done an episode with Clint and then you did uh you you featured featured on a comics for fun and profit. <laughs> I episode. I was I was merely second fiddle to to Drew. I was along for the ride. 
I've never been asked. <laughs> There's a reason for that. Oh my god. <laughs> just kidding. Um so yeah, it's been we've, really yeah, busy. We, we've just been we've just been busy. Plus we both we both do other work too and it's not yep. you know. And it's summertime, a lot of stuff going on. Um a couple other, I guess, fun things that uh that came in over the last few days. We've had a number of collections come in. And one of them that had uh, Fantastic 452, First Black Panther, Batman Adventures 12, First Charlie Quinn. Well, the last couple of days, mon- between Monday and today's and Wednesday, between over the last three days, I think we've had more collections come in than probably in the last month. It was insane. It was a Mo- slow month for yeah, collections. It was relatively slow, but I mean, this three-day period was yeah. just insane. It was Monday, I was just hauling in collection after collection from cars pulling up and throwing their blinkers on because there was nowhere to park. Um, I certainly got a workout from doing that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> long box after long box after long box. And uh, some of them, we, you know, was just sort of junky bulk that we bought to pad the dollar bins, not that we needed to. But we've also gotten some cool uh, 90s gems. Uh, we got um, some neat... neat um, for instance, we've gotten a, a Spawn ash can, and we, this one guy had most most of his collection was early '90s image, so he had a lot of Brigade and Youngblood and Wildcats and things like that. But he also bought uh, he had six copies of each issue of Spawn up through like issue 30, and we always sell a lot of Spawn here, so yep. that's kind of a neat one to instantly fill up our uh, our bins with many duplicates. So we've we've gotten some neat stuff in, and we've just been. We've been busy, but uh, we're back, ready to answer some questions. Yeah. All right. So the first question that came to us, and and this is pretty much from Sam. The question is, would it be better for the retailer, customer, distributor, and publisher for non-open variant orders to just be higher priced instead of tier-based? So for those that are, are listening and maybe aren't fully aware Right now, what we see, especially from DC, is their variants are open to order, meaning we do not have to hit any threshold of number of copies, any percentage of a previous issue number of copies, anything like that. We can order Batman cover A, Batman cover B, as many of each as we want. Other places will have some tiered incentives, so a 1 in 10. So for every 10 copies of that A cover you get, you can get one of this incentive. 1 in 15, 25, 50, all the way up to 1 in 1,000. We saw 1 in 2,000, and then was it Vader that had a 1 in 5,000? It, it was 4,999. Something. Because I think they did it to sort of poke fun at DC, who had a 1 in 5,000 for was that Dark, Dark Knight? Knight 3. Yeah. Yeah. So DC has abandoned Which was, that. And even that was a, I think it had a, a like a small box with Jim Lee original art on it, which... To me, is more valuable than the sort of bad Chip Zdarsky, Jackson, the Rabbit, or whatever it was cover that they put out for Vader. It just seemed like a kind of a, a poke in the eye move. Yeah. Anyways, so the question is, essentially, would it be better for all parties involved if they just did what some of the publishers do, and instead of having variant tiers, they just order... You just order the incentive variant at a higher price. So instead of a three ninety nine book, maybe a one in ten would be a nine ninety nine cover price. You you know, and up from there. No, nope. would it be better for anyone? No, it wouldn't. It, it would. It would absolutely not be because, and I'm thinking about this long term. 
Long term, it would be bad. The reason that variants are popular is that it is a speculator's market. Once you set a price, a collectible price for something, you almost always are going to create a downward trajectory for the long-term collectability of that book. Just like when you have the the store variant covers that are now a huge thing. You, you get the Matina or the Art Germ variants or Campbell. We've talked about this ad nauseum where you can buy, you can go to their website and for $99.99 or whatever, you get a color variant and a black and white variant and a virgin variant. But you're setting that that price. It's an, it's an artificial um, price for this collectible when it comes out. And usually it has nowhere to go but down. Now I'm not talking about having a signed 9.8 or something sort of arbitrary like that. But just for the book itself, you create uh, a price that has usually a very, very, very small ceiling, but a gigantic floor. And if you're, if you're in the speculator game, you're hoping to get that book relatively cheaply. That's going to all of a sudden be a desirable book. Um, now you're talking about tiered variants, the, the one in 25s, 50s, 100s. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different for those. Yeah. Range, specifically for, like the one in 1000s, things like that. Well, and I still don't think they are. And here's the, uh, here's the reason for it. There are several things that, this whole this whole variant ordering game has a lot of different variables to it. It's great for retailers because a re now it's it's great in most ways. It's also kind of bad if you don't do your due diligence. But um, we can't really account for you know ignorance of other people. Um, I think the whole point of of a lot of these variants. Let's just I want to I want to use a breakdown. I'm not going to give the whole. Uh, run of the numbers for this, but um, Marvel Legacy, the one shot that's coming out, they just today announced that there's a one in 500 and a one in 1000. Um, we weren't going to order anywhere near that. We were going to order, I think, 150 copies yep. of, of Marvel Legacy. And now we're having a very real discussion about ordering 1000 copies of this book that I'll be honest, neither of us really believe in. We don't think it's going to do what Rebirth did and change the landscape, but they are offering a deep discount on it. And it's a discount that all of a sudden makes those extra copies desirable simply because if we get a if we get two one and five hundreds and one one and one thousand variant, we can try to recoup a lot of that cost immediately with those. We might also only sell twenty five copies of the regular book and then we're going to be hung with a gigantic amount of unsold crap that's going to end up in long boxes in the basement. But it it creates the possibility for you to make a lot more money. That's, that's why so many uh, dealers and store owners do love these variants. Because the variants give, especially if you're a larger store, the variants give you a lot more wiggle room to make in what is a very fixed margin business to make a lot more money. What if, I, I guess, <clears throat> so I'm trying to find the other side and ask the questions um, because I, I largely agree with what you're saying. What if things like, again, let's go to the 1 in 1,000. Let's just stick there because the, the 1 in 50s and even the 1 in 100s I don't think are as... People, especially retailers, look at those and don't... They're not completely 
detracted by them. But once mm-hmm. you start getting 250, 500, 1000, things like that, people are just throw their hands up like, I'm not, that's ridiculous. Why would anyone do that? So in, in, let's just take one example and say a one in 1000 book, you're basically, you're going to bring in, say $1,800 worth of product to get that one in 1,000 book. And that's assuming you're collecting some other variants along the way. Mm-hmm. 1,000 of the base product plus some, some variants along the way. So you're paying $1,800. And you sell that that one in 1,000, let's say for $3,000. So you have $1,200 profit and you've got this glut of stock. Which is, which is a long shot. It Odds is. are you're going to sell it for half of that. Well, yes and no, depending on what it is, right? Which is what you're talking about with due diligence. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're talking about these one in one thousands. We're not doing every single one. In fact, we've not only done close. two. We did ASM yep. and, and Venom. Yep. So both of which we've moved and right the the Venom uh, for a considerable amount of money. Yep. Because it was when you look at Legacy, there you look at the breakdown. It makes it a lot more attractive too because they have. One in fifty Alex Ross covers. So if you order a thousand copies of that, you can order twenty copies of this book, which we've already pre-sold a couple copies for fifty dollars a piece on. Then there's a one in one hundred Ross black and white variant. You can pre-sell that for at least seventy-five, but maybe a hundred. I think DCBS is selling it for two twenty. And and one of the things of- that we should point out is that you know if anyone's listening to this and they do realistically want to get these legacy covers. The best way to get a hold of us is going on Facebook or sending us an email and asking yeah. us. Because, like James is saying, we're pre-selling some of these books that we knew we were going to get for less than what DCBS is. And so, way less. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're. I think they're selling that for $220. Um, and this is not us making a sales pitch. Although no, no. We'll take your money. We'll take your money, but this but, is us being realistic. Right. But even if we sell those 1 in 100s for 75 bucks a piece and we have 10 of them. $750 is a little less than what we're going to pay to get the whole kit and caboodle. Um, so it makes it, it makes it a lot more attractive to order that when you have all of those different tiers because you can get multiples of those higher dollar variants. Now, if you had to order a thousand copies and there was just a one in one thousand cover, like the Venom six that we got, that was a McFarland cover. So that's, I think, depending on the artist, you can kind of put a little bit of a premium. To, to if it's worth doing or not. Um, and, and we figured that that one certainly was. Um, mostly because it was the last issue of that series. Now, I know that they say it's still going, but they renumbered it to 150. As far as I'm concerned, that was the last issue of it. And McFarlane collectors, we've got a few, and more than a few, and they, they want to have everything that McFarlane has done. Now, if it was just a, a random cover by... Here's a, another great example. The following issue was 150. They did a 1 in 2,000 variant for that. Mark Bagley did the 1 in 2,000 and the 1 in 1,000 variants. Now, I love Mark Bagley. He, he's done some of my favorite Marvel work with Thunderbolts. But the Mark Bagley 1 in 2,000 is selling for less by a, by a large amount than what the 1 in 1,000 of Venom 6 was going for. And the there was like a... Um, Clayton Crane, one in five hundred. It's a nice book, but it's going for like three fifty. So if you had to order two thousand copies of that book, those were when you look at the artist, you got a question: Is that going to sell the book for you? And I, I argued that it wouldn't, 
and hence we didn't do it. Which is funny because we had an earlier discussion about artists not selling books. So what we're basically saying is that when it comes to a regular book on the shelf, an artist isn't going to move the needle, per se. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking about these really high-tier variants, the artist does play a large portion of what happens. I mean, a huge part of it. If it had been Art Germ or... Campbell, it would have been Hughes. pretty much the same thing. Well, actually, I'd say McFarlane is in a league of his own as oh, far yeah. as this goes. Because When it comes to Venom and ASM, things right. like that, absolutely. Right. But either way, my point being, uh, there's, a, there's a big difference in the, attract, the attractiveness of these high-tier variants based on what they include along the way. So for us, if we can make all of our money back by selling the 1 in 50 and the 1 in 100s, and then we still have the 1 in 1,000 and all of the regular covers, that's a no-brainer for us. We could triple or even quadruple uh, the money that we spent in, in mm-hmm. or that we have sunk into getting it. Um, that doesn't mean that we're going to do it, but we're at least considering it. We're running the numbers. And, and that's not to say that this is the case with every one of these. And it's right. artist or not, a lot of what goes into it as well with some of these hyperinflated numbers is, like James was saying, there's a deep discount. Mm -hmm. So what that means, without getting into the exact numbers, what that means is that there's the normal discount that retailers get, which is based on a 12-year or 12-month rolling average of your net net costs, slots you into a discount tier for Marvel, DC, Image, and all the other publishers. And what Marvel is doing is saying, in addition to your standard discount, which for... Most small shops is around 50 to 53%, give or take. Um, or 35 if you're... If you're really low, yeah, 35. Um, but they're giving you an additional percentage off, and we're not going to say what that is. Sometimes it's as little as 5%. Sometimes it's as much as 15%. And it kind of just varies. And it's not on all titles. It's not on all of these one and X thousand promotions it's just whenever they feel like they want to do it and legacy is one that they feel they want to push so that's what that's really what has, has brought us into this discussion about do we go for it mm-hmm. yeah absolutely um but again to to get back to the to the original question i think if they were all of a sudden ordering there's not a chance in hell that we would order even without the variants we wouldn't even order a hundred a hundred copies probably Probably. Uh, but we've already pre-sold some of the Ross covers. So for us, it's, like I said, it's a no-brainer. If we could just sell the Ross variants to, to someone for this. And, and that's the other thing. If the, if they release these variants with a set manufacturer's suggested retail price, let's say that they set it at, um, I don't know, whatever the ratio is. Let's say that it's a $50 um, uh, ratio price for it. Then you, you, are you going to have that, as we've talked about with the other eBay, uh, podcast, kind of a race to the bottom to undercut the next guy on it? If $50 is the price point that you set, then this company is going to sell it for this much. DCBS will sell it for that much. Midtown will sell it for that much. eBay exclusive sellers are going to sell it for 30 and you have a race to the bottom on that. It, it kind of goes counter to what, variant collectors want well we could say the and so taking the other side i could say look at artist editions a lot of the artist editions when you look in in previews will have pi 
for the price, which means please inquire. There's a set price that we as retailers pay depending on what it is, what the content is, you know, where they had to get it from, the price could fluctuate. But what that does is that gives the retailer the ability to make whatever price they want. Yeah, I know where you're going with this, but the reason that that's not a great example is because you can go to IDW's store and they're selling them for 125 or 150. So de facto, that's a manufacturer suggested retail price. I don't think I and again, I get what you're saying. No, I'm just trying I, to find I, the other side of the argument. No, I I think um once you have a set price on a book like that, though, it becomes a race to the bottom to sell that book, to undercut the other orders. And there's no fringe benefit. The fringe benefit for or, for selling a 150 is you have 50 copies that you might be able to sell mm-hmm. or not sell. But if you do sell them, you have the opportunity to make that much extra in sales. Right. The other And then the other thing is the company that's providing the covers that you need to sell to reach for the variant, then have 50 or 100 or 500 or 1,000 copies of a book on a shelf. And that, I think, is probably well, their end goal. They think they have them on a shelf. We well, have a long box that says otherwise. That's true. But you have, okay, but you have a long box of them. And what are you going to do with them? You're not going to throw them away or use them in a fire. You're going to, you might, no, I mean, you're going to take them to a show. You're going to take them, you're taking their product and you're still selling it. You're getting it out there. I've heard of store owners that we know that took excess books and used them as a bonfire. Yeah, well, we won't get into that one. <laughs> um, I, I think that there's – that's why I said there are so many steps along the way for why I don't think you would have Marvel or DC set. Let's look at the companies that do that. Boundless. Yeah. Their stuff – whatever company makes Cavewoman, their stuff never – if you go into previews and you look at one of these twenty nine ninety five nude risque variants of Cavewoman or whatever it is or jungle scream queens or whatever Boundless is putting out you can go on eBay you can go on any of these aftermarket sites and you can find them for an incredible amount less than what the suggested retail price is for them Dynamic Forces another great example Dynamic Forces has a set retail price for their variants in previews they have two four or five pages in every issue of previews, everybody listening to this, I'm sure, gets previews or has access to it. Go look up Dy- Dynamic Forces, bookmark five or six, or find an old previews. Yeah. Find five or six variant covers from uh, uh, previews from last year, and now look them up on eBay. I guarantee you will not find a single one that is appreciated in value. Every single one of them have depreciated in value because they set this price that created a, uh, an you cannot. You're not going to grow the value of the book by starting the value of the book at fifty dollars. If you start the value of the book at this is what a store had to order to get it, what does the market now define as the value of the book? You're going to create something that's going to have very tangible, potentially long-term value. Maybe you know, depending again, depending on the variant. Ninety-five, ninety-nine percent of all variants don't hold value past the first couple of months. But the ones that do are the ones that the markets decided are the books that should have value. They're not books that have been set with an arbitrary price point based on what the manufacturer thinks the book is worth. Right. And I think looking at all of the examples that we have in front of us, 
I don't think that Marvel or DC doing that would help anything. I think it would hurt the variant industry. And there's the argument that maybe hurting the industry, variant industry is a good thing. But I don't think it is long term. Well, then there's also the argument that I've heard every once in a while creep up that, um, especially in these high tier side of things, that that is just hurting the overall comics industry because what it's doing is, in some aspects, it's taking the enjoyment of the medium out and replacing it with a collectible mentality. And we've seen time and time again with collectible markets that there's peaks and valleys, right? We know, like, sports cards, right? There was a huge peak, and now we're in a, been in a very prolonged valley for quite a while. Yeah, but there's never... But sports cards are... They're not intellectual properties that can be mined and mined and mined in perpetuity. Intellectual properties like Spider-Man are... I mean, look what they're doing with the well, Avengers movies. Look what Marvel's doing, DC's doing. You can go into go into Target, go into Kohl's, go into Walmart, go to the kids' section. Look at the pajamas, look at the, the socks, look at the backpacks. It's Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, Mario... It's characters that are intellectual properties. You cannot go into any of those stores and find, let's take the big guys, Babe Ruth. You know, there's no Honus Wagner backpacks that are that are being produced for kids. There's no Jackie Robinson pajamas or bed sheets. The no, mar- but that you do market. Have, but you do have the sports teams. So you'll have Milwaukee Brewers, Chicago Cubs, Green Bay Packers, and you'll have current stars. And 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 I'm I'm gonna you know to get to the baseball analogy. So I don't know if you. I, I don't think you ever really got into sports card collecting. Oh, I no, I was. Were you? Oh, okay. big into it. So then my you know, neighbors, you know when my neighbors the, were some of the biggest dealers in Wisconsin. So then you know when all of when the the market hit its peak was right when they started introducing autographs, jersey, pieces of bat, pieces of stick, things like that. Right. Right. And so that's those what you had- those are the closest things that you can say to a one in whatever variant. But even the prices on those, you can buy them. At say a five hundred dollars for a piece of Michael Jordan's jersey from from a you know championship game from the NBA Finals, you can pay five hundred bucks for that card now. There's a chance it could go up. There's a chance it could go down. Now you buy that same card for Horace Grant on that same team, that same championship, and you pay two hundred bucks for it. I guarantee you, somebody's going to have it for ten dollars at a flea market. Yeah, but I so there is a comparison there. But, but what the comparison that you're making is sports collectibles versus cards. And there's a big difference. And that's exactly what these high-tier variants are doing to comic books. They're becoming comic collectibles. And that's the argument that a lot of people are making that I'm just trying to put out there for you. Well, but... It's very similar in that you've taken a small, a very small percentage, less than 1% of the product, Mm -hmm. but have placed 90% of the premium on it. Yeah, but I think it better if you want to make a comparison to that kind of thing. Jordan's jersey would be a card pack that has a piece of Christopher Reeve's cape or something to that effect. The market. Oh, I would I think say the Jordan's jersey would be closer to that Jim Lee original. No, nah, I think the market. You can. It's an analogy, but I don't think it's the correct one. The markets. If you want to compare sports cards to comic books, I. I mean, I've I've always been much more into comic books, but sports cards have been. Something that I, I did collect for a long time. I mean, I had a subscription to every Beckett. I'd get Beckett and I would just pour over the, the price guides. I got 
Beckett, baseball, basketball, football. So we can at least agree that Beckett was better than Tough Stuff because it had way more oh, yeah. listing in it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, plus, Beckett's still around. Um, and they have the grading service. That's true. But anyways, I don't. I just. I get what you're saying, but I think comics are a market that will outlast, due to the fact that their intellectual properties will outlast many other collectibles. Now there are collectible video games would be a great market to compare it to. Video games have been around for about a third, and I'm not going back to the Fairchild and stuff. Let's just talk about like Nintendo on been around for about a third of the amount of time that comic books have, and. It hasn't had a chance to really quite reach the price highs that that your big comic keys have. But see, that's not it's not the same thing but, to me because there's no like it for every one of this cartridge there were or for every thousand of this cartridge there was one of this cartridge made. Which no, is what no, we're no, talking about. What, we're talking about that small piece that no, I, added I get bonus. that. But I'm saying even then we could try to make that comparison, and you're and I'm, you're going to agree with me on this. But I think it's also a comparison that's not completely apt because you're using – it's something that can – I've had to, to go into old cartridges and, and change batteries. And I've had to mm-hmm. um, fix and clean and uh, try to get things that, hadn't, that haven't been working to work again. Comics are their own beast. I think the only thing that you could really compare to comic books would be books, the actual book market. Which, of course, is always going to exceed uh, comic books as far as value goes. But I think comics are their own thing. I think comic books are going to last as an investment for a long, long time. What Certain in- comics. Right. I was going to say what... It's like a Honus Wagner versus that Horace Grant jersey card. You could say it could be things like your Detective 27 versus your 1 in 40 ASM 25 limb variant. But if comics are always going to be a collectible... The question is, what inside that market will stay collectible? That's the argument that we're making. I think the comics have been a collectible for for decades and decades and decades, and it's not going to change. The the perception that variant covers mean that people aren't reading comics is foolish. I think it's it's ridiculous because people have just because someone pays a thousand dollars to get a variant cover doesn't mean people aren't reading. It's not a, a zero-sum game where somebody's buying a variant cover and now there's you know one less person uh, reading books and enjoying the story if there were two people doing that. It, it's not – the market will always be there. I think variant collectors help the market. They help the market because they keep – it. let's pretend the comics were only being kept alive through variant covers. Okay. Let's pretend that that was go- what was going on. And it's not the case, although you can argue that uh, – certain companies are, if that is what's leading to them still producing content, whether you or I like the content, then that is doing a service to the, to the people that are solely readers. And the service is being provided by the people that are buying the variant covers. So I don't see how variant covers are a bad thing. For, I, if you're a reader, it's, it, you know, don't don't buy the variant cover, read the book. But just because a guy's buying a variant doesn't mean that you can't get your A cover or B cover or sure. C cover. Yeah, and and you know this is not to say that I'm I, I'm I'm trying to be devil's advocate. I'm trying to argue against you so that we can try and flush mm-hmm. out some of these points. Um, I think we can both agree on on this being a bad business practice. But there are some places out there where they've taken this mentality of the variant market and said, you know what? There's a variant. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, 
let's say Marvel has many times now recently done a uh, an exceed ninety percent of the order of X issue, and you'll get you know unlock this variant for free, right? So we you know for most of the books that we get, we stay very steady and consistent on what we are actually ordering from issue to issue. So for us to exceed 90% is very easy because it's our subs plus whatever we put on the shelf. So we unlock a lot of these variant tiers. Now, in our store, when we do that, those books go out on the shelf at cover. We don't mark them up. Now, there's a ton of stores that do, and even worse than that are the stores that go to DC where they have open variants, and instead of the 2.99 or 3.99 price point, they're putting... and in many cases I've heard $9.99 on a B cover that's open to order. Now, that's the part that can hurt the industry. I'm going to give you devil's advocate. Oh, boy. Open to order is one thing. I agree that the stores that do that, that's low. It is. But the percentage to qualify covers, there was, Brian Hibbs wrote an article talking about all of the kind of Facebook exclusive Retailer groups that yep. exist. That was uh, Tilting at Windmills 260, I believe. There you go. It's good. It's a good read. Um, it'll probably explain things far better than we ever can. He's very articulate. What, which is what he does. We just blather on. That's true. Um, but that's what people pay for. But there has been a lot of talk on the Marvel one specifically about pr- aftermarket pricing in those books. Several retailers, this one we're definitely going to keep anonymous, Yeah, have talked about how the open to order meet or exceed variants are something that they should always mark up because it's uh, basically them doing a service to their customers if they order it. It's a, it's a little bit of gravy for the store is what he said. I think like the exact words. Mm-hmm. And I, I get what he's saying with that. I just it's dis- disingenuous. It. Yeah, I just it's a with it. it's a false business practice. So yeah, and that's one of those tough things where well, and that is unless you had to order two hundred and fifty percent of your normal book sure. to get it. Sure, then mark it up. But again, how can you then if you're going to say that that's acceptable, then you have to take it completely on a case by case basis. I, I, yes, yeah, and if you are a customer to a store that marks up things like DC open to order variants. I'm sorry. It's, yeah. To us that's bad bad business, but I, I do want to give you an example. We we just talked about it. But this is one of my favorites and I always go through what, with box and we read these variants when I'm doing um the initial order. This is boundless. Yep. And this is I'm going to pick one issue and I am going to read to you Every single variant cover for that issue. Are you going to read prices too? Um, no, the prices. Well, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Um, the book that we're going to use is called Looker's Ember Number Two. It's the second issue of whatever Looker's Ember is. <laughs> Probably not safe for work. I would not Google this at work. Um, the prices on the first couple here are five ninety nine. So let's start. Looker's Ember Ember Two. Looker's Ember Two Wrap. Looker's Ember 2 Red Hot. Looker's Ember 2 Workout Variant. Looker's Ember 2 Dancers. Lookout Ember 2 Dancers Bikini. Now we switch over to the $7.99 price point. Lookout 
or lookers. I can't. It's like <laughs> five times fast. Lookers Ember number two, dancers topless. Lookers Ember number two, dancers nude. Lookers Ember number two, dancers adult. Lookers Ember number two, dancers adult extreme. Lookers number Ember number two, nude. Lookers Ember number two, red hot nude. Lookers Ember number two, workout nude. Lookers Ember number two, GGA homage nude. I don't even want to know what that stands well, for. Yeah. Lookers Ember number two, sexy spies nude. That sounds pretty good, right? Lookers Ember number two, luscious nude. Lookers Ember number two, rap nude. Lookers number two, adult. Lookers number two, GGA homage. Are these As still seven ninety nine? GGA homage nude. No, now we're back. I'm sorry. The GGA homage is back to the five ninety nine price point. Lookers two sexy spies variant. Lookers two luscious. Lookers two luscious adult. Lookers two threesome adult. Lookers two threesome adult extreme, which has a nine ninety nine price point. What gives? I mean, honestly, look, look up the past prices for any. This is what those. Look at the ones that were over five ninety nine, and go on eBay and tell me if a single one of them is selling for over that. I would be shocked. And we're not going to count the four ninety nine shipping into the price. <laughs> I mean, it, that is that it, it's absurd. It is absolutely absurd. That is one book. So that is that's what happens when you have an open to order priced variant company. I do hey. not want Marvel. Now, not that Marvel and DC would. <laughs> although I don't know about Marvel, they How might milk it that dry. How many variants did Marvel have on A Star lot. Wars? Well, they had it was like 120, but you just gotta remember just the ones in previews alone. No, no, no. That 120 number counts all no, no, the no. store variants. Yeah, but just the ones in previews alone were enough. Because yeah, we, there were a lot. There were a ton. There were a lot. But anyways, I my point is when you look at that, or when you look at since I have it in front of me, and I and I brought it up, I just wanted uh, I want to say dynamic forces. Um, the dynamic forces Venom number six comic exposure Matina variant twenty nine ninety nine. Should we? Should we look that up? Let's look that up right here. Go for it. Okay. So the Venom 6 comic exposure on eBay, set of four covers, first print, $55. Um, $55, set of four covers. $24.98 for the one cover. Set of four covers, $55. So right there, I mean, it's, it's already on eBay. Here is a set of... Four variants, um, again, $55. Why would, you know, it, it just proves my point that these things, when they have this artificially created price point, will not hold their value. Let's look. I'm going to do this one more time. Let's look up boundless, <laughs> sexy variant. Not safe for your wife, work. Yeah. Safe for our work, apparently. <laughs> Ooh. Um, four ninety nine was nine ninety nine. Best offer accepted. Ooh, here I can buy two of them for six ninety five. I mean, it just you know it goes on and on. Now, I don't. I the other thing is maybe that's a bad company to use it as, as an example because most comic stores are not even going to shelve that book. Right. So. You're not really looking at that's going to be a special order book. You're not looking at 
uh, impulse sales when you factor something like that in. Although, maybe. Well, I guess it depends on where you are, um, but certainly not by us. Right. But anyway, that's my point, is that you look at these books and there's an artificial point price point set. They don't hold it. I would rather a 1 in 25 comes out and... One store charges 10, one store charges 20, one store tries to get 50 milked out of it. The market comes in and says this book is worth $15. I think that's the way to do it. And some people sold it for 50 and they're happy. Some stores sold it for 15 and they're happy. If you set your price and you get it, that's awesome. You know, if you're happy with what you got, that's great. So then the next part of the question is is uh, specifically staying with Marvel. And the question is, why does Marvel insist upon the heavy tiered ordering for their variants? Is it a shelf awareness thing or a numbers cooking thing? Now, I have my answer. And I'll give mine first you, this time. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. go first. So um, I truthfully think it's a little bit of both shelf awareness and the numbers cooking. But in my heart of hearts, and this is not anything... I don't want people to take this as a negative, me saying against Marvel, because it could just be a, a, what I think is a major part of their business uh, model is it's a numbers cooking thing. They want to have more units shipped than any other comic retailing publisher, because for them, that shows market dominance. Now, one of the things that my eighth grade math teacher told me that I have never forgotten is... Statistics lie, and liars use statistics. Now, every month, the numbers get calculated by three different people. They're all pretty much within an issue or two of each other in their calculations. And we use that, and and for those that want to know how James, you and I can use it, or specifically me, from a retailer standpoint, can go listen to the comic book page episode that John Mayo and I did on it. But basically, anyone from anywhere can use those numbers to look at trends and understand how certain books are doing, how creators are doing, what do things mean, whatever. But a big part of that is Diamond also spits out industry statistics. And these industry statistics go beyond just retailers. They go out to USA Today, New York Times, whomever, and they'll choose to run stories whenever they want. But if you are a publishing company and you have mechanisms that you can pull to make sure that your books always ship more than anybody else due to high variant tiers with deep discounts and all of those pieces, um, that is a way of showing supremacy in the marketplace. When, in fact, what could be the reality is that in some stores, yes, Marvel probably sells two to three times, maybe five times more than DC or any other publisher. There's some stores where it's completely flipped. Mm-hmm. It, it makes It doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, I do think that a key part of Marvel's business model is they want more copies in the stores that got shipped so that A, they can say they, they've shipped more than anybody else, and B, they can try and hog shelf space, which aware retailers, such as ourselves, don't let happen. That's no, what I, I think. Now, I, I don't know I if you I completely agree with you. There okay. are... You well, heard it here, of, folks. The, we agreed right away. We did. <laughs> well, the other thing is, now, I, I remember reading a lot about when... This was first being done. It was being done as a way for publishers, a publisher specifically, to recommend to a, just whoever's doing the orders, that this is an important issue. 
that you're going to, you know, like if DC had recommended that, I know, I know, I know, I'm sorry, but it's, this is what I'm just saying. This is what people said. And I then, don't agree with that. And that could be, but if you do that to every title, correct. Offering. No, 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 I get that. But I'm saying then it's something that went, it, it, it may have started with the best of intentions. Of course. Order Most 150, are. right. Order 150% of this because in the next issue, someone will die. But then what? I know. And they'll never come back. The universe will be changed forever. It'll be all new and all different. Right. And now the the funny thing is a lot of people gave DC a lot of grief for not putting out an advance notice about how Batman 24 would, would be a kind of a bigger book. My point is so I, heard, work out pretty I, good for I heard someone say, yeah, they did a fourth print. I heard someone say if D, on the messenger, uh, the, the message board, if DC had done a meet or exceed for that book, that they would have upped their orders on it because they would have seen it was an important book. Right. Well, it's some. I mean, maybe that works for one or two books, but like you said, when you do it for every book, there's no point. And, so what's, and what's better for sales and word of mouth? Having a thousand of a of an A cover clogging space on mm-hmm. shelves, whatever, or a book that retailers cannot keep in stock because there's so much market demand now, for it. One other thing to keep in mind is that uh, a Comic publishers do not care about the secondhand market. No, and nor should they, they know, and they shouldn't. At the same time, a lot of companies would rather overship a book and have it completely oversaturated, knowing that there's no chance that that book is going to all of a sudden explode on the back market. There's a ton of copies out there, enough to fill demand. I think Marvel is one of those companies. You've got, I mean, you think of really hot Marvel books from the last couple of years. What comes to mind? Maybe Edge of Spider-Verse, but they did five or six printings on it. Oh, Spider-Man Deadpool number one. Spider-Man Deadpool number one. It's another great one. That's probably the one that came in with the quietest whisper, but went out with the loudest screams because... Now, do you remember any kind of meter exceed discount on that? No. Uh, Or variant on that? I don't either. No, but I do remember that they got to a certain point where they said we're not doing any more printings on it. Now, do you think Secret Empire or Rocket Raccoon or any of these books that either got a tremendous overship or had a get an additional deep discount if you order 200% of this title are ever going to have they're never going to do anything in the back market. So I think a lot of the a lot of the perspective that publishers have is we'll never be we'll never be able to be part of the back market, so let's flood it so there is no back market on these books. So our product will be out there; it will always be accessible and easily available. And then, but yes, caveat: there are a couple publishers out there who recognize that a they're not going to be a part of that secondary market. So the best thing that they can do is to make sure that their trades are mm-hmm. printed as as well as possible. But more importantly want to work with retailers to provide us those avenues of flooding the the shelves with their books, but in a more sustainable business pattern. And the two that I would point to right now would be DC by having open to order variants. That means you've got two facings for every book, potentially, potentially, right? Mm -hmm. And there's no gimmicks to have to get to it. Um, But the one that actually has really shocked me the most, and I'm actually very, very thankful for is boom coming out with their new um, 
marketing program for retailers. Right. And it was, it was, it's no cost. We had to opt into it. And there, I think there's kind of a gentleman's agreement type thing. Like we're not going to order 200 of a number one that we expect to sell three of. Right. That's just, that's wrong. Right. This is them extending returnability. here's, Here's a question for you. Some companies will have one in 100 or 500 yeah. variants or something. And they'll say if you order, I don't know, if you know, uh, 400% of this issue that you've ordered of a past book, you open up 100% returnability. Yeah. Stores that have a decent amount of capital and earn exactly paycheck to paycheck, they can get, they can get, um, let's say, let's use secret weapons. Great example. Valiant just put secret weapons out, number one. They had a 1 in 100 variant that was like a virgin variant signed by the writer. I'll, there were not a lot of stores that did this, but what they did was they opened it up to, if you order a certain amount of, do you remember what it was to qualify for full returnability? There was some some qualifier. a number of like 50 in my head, but I, I that could have just been our number. Yeah, I don't know what I it was. I remember. There was some qualifier that if you ordered above a certain amount, all of your copies of, at the very least, the A, B, and C covers would be fully returnable. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a store that has a lot of capital to throw around, why wouldn't you order a thousand copies? Mm-hmm. Get ten of those variants. You know, most stores are not going to order one hundred copies of a new Valiant four issue miniseries. It's just not going to happen. But if you have the capital to sit on those thousand copies for yeah. however long, yep. Then you can return them. Yep. We're we're not saying that we're doing that. Um, I wish we had the capital to do that, but places can do that. Now that's what you're talking about is the system being abused, mostly in order to get variant covers, right? But you then do not have to return with the, the books that you return. It's not like all of a sudden you get you return 980 books and then you have to return all 10 one on one hundred variants. It doesn't happen. Right. You keep them. Yeah, and I'm not saying there's a perfect system to it. I just think that what some of the mechanisms that some of the publishers are putting out right now, to me, do a a better, maybe not a better, they do a little bit more um, palatable mm-hmm. approach to getting more facings on a shelf or getting their books. Like, let's be straight up honest. Anything that Boom has that's part of this program, we're saying, yeah, let's bring in a handful because at the very least, yeah. But what we're it's doing, back. we're it took us from ordering maybe two copies of first issue uh, of a non to five or six uh, of an unknown commodity to five. Yeah. So we're not, yeah, we're not abusing it. But and, at the and same it, time, we're not. It's not getting us to order. We're not seeing. We're seeing the potential that we might be able to rope in three more people to read that book by having it on the shelf. Yeah. But. We're not, you know, we, we're smart enough to know that we're not all of a sudden going to find 30 new readers for this new boom type. But the, the best part about it, I think, too, is that we would have ordered two before and maybe not done any sort of marketing push for it, per mm-hmm. se, right? We would have probably pushed the Marvel title that we got 50 of, right? for example. Um, but what it does offer us is it's, you know what? Hey, we've got five of this title. This is a new one. It may, it may fit your taste. And literally, we can send them all back if they don't sell. Mm-hmm. And I just I think that that is a it's a good way of partnering with a retailer um, to do it. We'll see how long the program lasts. Uh, Boom has really I mean they've stepped up their game too with things like claws, strange fruit. I mean they're not they're more than just lumberjanes. 
Do they have um, Grass Kings? Grass Kings. They've got the James Tynan, the trilogy of trilogies. So they had Mimetic and Cognetic, and in the latest previews, Eugenic is being uh, solicited. So, I mean, they're, they're doing more than just kids' titles. Some mm-hmm. There's more than Boombox. But anyway, so those are the two that I think are good. And, and so I think we pretty much agree that a big part of Marvel's business plan with all of these variants are it's it's two two pieces. One, mm-hmm. they want more facings on the shelf, right? The more product, more space you take up with your product, the less your competitors have. But in my opinion, even more so than that, they want to show that they're shipping more units, which shows market dominance. Um, one thing that would be interesting that we that Diamond will has the data for, but won't give to any of the sites that are doing any of the compilations is. They're telling, they're saying that uh, in the marketplace, Marvel had X percentage of units shipped, X percent of dollars shipped. Those dollars are MSRP. What would be kind of interesting is to say, what does it look like with the actual cost of retailers percentage shipped? Because I think that while Marvel would probably still be leading, it would Mm -hmm. be a much, much thinner margin when they're doing things like these deep discounts on six or eight titles that have all of these variants uh, I think right. all of the lenticular cover, all of the lenticular cover legacy books, which I think is 53 of them that'll be out in the end, will all have, um, deep discounts that start at, uh, was it 115%, 125%, and 150% of certain books previously? Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, like things <clears throat> like that where you start adding these percentages off, yeah, you're shipping more, but if you're shipping them at a lower cost, Maybe the marketplace is a little bit more fair on cash outlay than what we're seeing. There's one other thing I had in my notes here I want to go back to. I completely skipped over somehow. When we were talking about the um, making tiered variants open to order, how do you then go about labeling them? Because think, if it's not, if it's no longer a 1 in 100, what do you call it? Is it just a $60 Alex Ross variant? Or because at that point... It's, if, a, it's a bikini car wash. It's a red hot bikini car wash. It it could be. I mean, but I think it, I think you're going to have um, a lot of times. I think what you end up, would at, end up doing is you would have a UPC that had, would use the same code that it has now, right? So you've got one digit or two digits or whatever it is for the issue number, a digit for the the variant number, and a digit for the printing number. I think you would keep that the same. You just wouldn't post a price on it. And it would just be like cover A, cover B, cover C, cover D, cover E. But the, and the other retailers thing, would have a set cost for that. So fifty, hundred, three hundred, a thousand, and fifteen hundred dollars for those. Here, here's the other thing, though, that I want to bring up. That I wonder if this is a reason that publishers won't do it. Looking at Boundless and looking at Action Lab, two companies both famous for doing limited open, excuse me, open to order variants. If you look at, let's go with Zombie Tramp. Uh, Zombie Tramp, cover B, Mendoza Risque variant, limited to 2,500 copies. Isn't that interesting? Boundless, Fantasy Survivors Issue 5, Ice Age Topless, is limited to 350 copies. If Marvel does that, Mm -hmm. are they then forced to disclose the number of issues printed of the variant cover? Something that they will never, ever, ever do in the current market. Would, is that something that they would have to do? I think so, and I think that that and that would I, I guarantee I think, you that would that would that could go one of two ways. Uh, it's I think it's going to go down. It, it could go down. It could go down, but it could for certain things it could go up. I, I would argue that the books that are going to go up in value 
would still go up in value. The books that will go down in value under the current marketplace would still go down. I don't think there would be a change. I think if you had a Venom book that had a McFarlane cover that was limited to 25 Mm-hmm. And it was a uh, $2,000 for the, the retailer to order it. If there's only 25 of that book, I don't think the value is going down on a McFarlane Venom cover. That's that limited. Yeah, but then... You know what I'm saying? Like, see, that's, again, that's I the think, question. How are they figuring out... Are they going to apply your standard discount to to a, right, right. to an arbitrary SRP for a book like that? Because I, yeah. that because no, at no. that point because what I think what they what I what I think the recommendation is or or if I'm following what um, we had talked to people had talked about on the chat channels and things like that is that it wouldn't it wouldn't be a um, two thousand dollars would be the cost to the retailer every retailer regardless of who you are net price it's a net not price an and right and there's no MSRP the MSRP is set by the market and the retailer for whatever you want so there's twenty five of that McFarlane and. If you order it, you are paying $2,000 regardless of who you are just to get it in your shop. Yeah, I still just, I, I still don't see it working. I just, I don't think it would. I don't think because... There's gonna... a lot more things that could go wrong. and the... <laughs> Well, there are a lot more things that could go wrong, but as a retailer, wouldn't you rather have the, that book and then the thousand copies that go with it? So let's, um, yes, I agree. The only the only case that you could have an argument against that would be if again pulling numbers out. Let's just say to buy a thousand and to buy that book, you're gonna lay out eighteen hundred dollars. And Marvel says, you know what? This is there's one hundred copies of this book and it's fifteen hundred dollars. What would you rather have? You know, when you get to something like that, then maybe you can start to have a discussion. But again, it's and and let's be honest. I think it also depends on. Who you are as a retailer, what your market is. If you're in a 650 square foot um, store in Manhattan and you are competing with Midtown, who's two stories uh, in Times Square per se, maybe you just want that one $1,500 book that you can put out because you're the boutique shop, right? And you don't have mm-hmm. space for 999 other copies. Well, maybe, but I think the the big neon sign that we're kind of glossing over here, when we talk about these books... They are called incentive variants, and mm-hmm. the incentive is for the retailer. Mm-hmm. It's not an incentive for Joe Schmo who wants to come in and get the book. Right? Where is where is the incentive for him? It's an incentive for a retailer to up their orders to get this book that they can then sell for an inflated price. I think when you take that away and you make it a customer incentive book, again, you kind of you're muddying the waters. I think you're gonna have you're gonna be diluting a lot of the. A lot of what appeals to people about the speculator market. Whether people like the speculator market or not, it is keeping certain titles alive and it's keeping certain companies alive. And I think that you have to, you have to go hand in hand with, uh, varying covers have to go hand in hand with, with storytelling. One can keep the other alive. I'm not necessarily sure that varying covers with, Crap storytelling can can survive, you know. Again, in perpetuity, um, I think if you have a great book and you offer varying covers occasionally for it, there's a market there. Yeah, yeah. And I guess there's a maybe there's a, a deeper discussion at another time about variant saturation across your line, across all of that. Yeah, I mean, and well, there totally is. But the the best example to use would be with Marvel. Just had a uh, 
variant cover sale where they blew out a whole bunch of variants. Now, the majority of those variants were the percentage to qualify variants, order 90% or 150% or whatever. So they're mostly books that have not really accrued in any value. The hip-hop variants, for the most part, were all percentage variants. There were some that there was like a Deadpool that was a 1 in 100 or 1 in 200. There were some kind of weird, arbitrary high numbers, and I don't understand why they did that. But um, you look at a lot of the books that they put out on this variant sale, and these are 1 in 25s, and you look them up on eBay, and they're going for $2.90. They're going for below cover price. Why is that? Because there's no real sense of importance to these anymore. Two problems. One of them, they do these variant theme covers. Yep. Uh, if you have a variant theme cover, why, unless you're collecting the entire series, like you're doing the What what the Duck variants. Remember when they had the What the Duck variants about a year and a half back? Unless you are collecting either all of the What the Duck variants or you are a diehard in collecting every variant for a certain title, no one's going to go for that book. There's no... There's no reason to have a what the duck variant or the they did the shield variants back uh, in the around the time of original sin when she, the shield show came out and they had variant covers of books that had nothing to do with shield but it would have a cast member of shield a, a photo cover again I'm sure there are people that are looking for the the whole set of the shield variant covers but there's not a lot of them yeah and certainly nobody buying original sin seven or whatever it was needs to have the whatever this girl from S.H.I.E.L.D. variant cover is. It's, it's a stupid idea. They're variant covers that don't fit the book. They fit a theme, but it's not a theme that anyone wants or asks for. Right. Or if somebody does want it, it's a very, very small amount of people. So they're not doing variant covers correctly. So the saturation is there. Oversaturation is there. But it's an oversaturation of stuff that... If it was an oversaturation of great variant covers, it'd be salad days. Everybody would want... Yeah, I mean, that would be a great thing to have, but they're useless variants. Yeah, and I mean, you see some of that with other publishers like Image doing their cover of the month, Soup Du Jour. Hickman, you know, Visions Hickman, of the Future. Uh, they had Pride Month. They had uh, the next one up is Walking Dead. Which, which there's, a, there's a reason for Walking Dead. I can see. Yeah, but if you look at the numbers, they're going to be like homaging four or five issue 100s. I know. It's like, well, why? Yeah. You know, yeah. so I mean. I, Image I think, is getting into the, into the game a I mean, image and variant covers were synonymous for a long time. Yeah. Then image was sort of the, they moved over to, we're, we're storytelling kings, and now it's sort of back to, I mean, it's certainly, they have a lot of great books, but it's kind of a mixture of both. Yep. Um, the other thing I was, that I'm very curious about is who at Marvel decides and what criteria do they use to decide what book gets a variant cover and what the content of the variant cover is and the qualifier for the variant cover is. For instance, why does a random issue of Moon Girl, issue whatever, 19, 20, get a 1 in 25 variant when the issues before it have not had anything and the issues after it have nothing? Why does one book arbitrarily get a Marvel vs. Capcom 2 variant cover and another doesn't? Why does one book get nine variant covers that are all different and this book over here that you would suspect would get one doesn't. There are random issues of Spider-Man Deadpool that have no variant cover. But then, again, like I said, you'll get a, a book like uh, Karnak or whatever, 
some Inhumans book that'll have four different variant covers. What is the criteria? It seems like there is none. It it's seems just, completely yeah, random and arbitrary. What, what is, I would like to know the mentality that goes behind picking which issue gets a variant and what the qualifier is and the content is and the reason behind it. I just, I don't understand why they, t- and a lot of times those end up being books that, that do have sort of a, a good staying power in the back market, um, because it might be a book that you are only ordering. I should say that only sells seven or eight thousand or nine thousand or ten thousand copies. Most stores are ordering two or three copies, so that one in twenty-five becomes sort of rare. Um, but I just I don't get how that's assigned. Yep. It's something I would really love to get. I, I don't think it's anything we'll ever know either. They're never going to dis- disclose the decision-making process behind it. But it just seems completely goofy to me. Yep, I agree. Anything else on your end? No, not really. I think we've uh, adequately covered the questions. Yeah. So that was uh, that was kind of a fun discussion about different variant covers and such. If you have a question or if you'd like information on something, like us to talk about something, you can follow all of our uh, main modes of communication, whether it's probably our, our best ones on Facebook. That's where we're the most active. But we're on Twitter. Uh, we do a little bit of Instagram. We have email, all those good things. So... Uh, thank you very much for your ideas, your thoughts, your questions. Hopefully we covered it for you. And signing off for myself and James, we will talk to you next time. On behalf of all of us, thank you for listening to this episode of the Cowcast. You can find us on all the main social media outlets, including Facebook at facebook.com slash on Twitter at Incredicow or on Instagram at Cowabunga Comics. To send an email to us directly, send it to podcast at cowabungacomics.com or to join in the discussion, you can hop on our new Cowabunga Comics forum at forums.cowabungacomics.com. That's cowabunga with a K.com. Cowabunga.